Well, good morning. I hope I'm not the first person to say good morning to you this morning. If you're a visitor, we are so glad that you're here. Um, my name is Matt Flora. I have the distinct privilege and responsibility of being one of your pastors. And um, while I believe Paul prayed for Jamie Wellman and their family, Pastor Jamie and Wellman, they are gone. And I have the weighty responsibility of bringing forth the word this morning. So the way, way we'll tee this up is no different than any other Sunday morning. Um, we're going to read the passage. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask for God's help. Then we'll take a look at Luke 8, verses 1 through 15. So with that, this is the word of the Lord. Luke 8, 1 through 15. He who has ears to hear, may he hear. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. 
Father, You see those who have came this morning. Within the sound of My voice, they have came. Father, I have nothing to offer them. But You do. You have eternal life. You have forgiveness of sin. You have peace. You have these things to offer them. Father, help me. I can do nothing good, but you can. The needs of your people. Speak to them this morning. Encourage them with your word. Convict them with your word. The one here this morning who has never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, has never repented of their sins, and ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. God, open up their hearts that they may see the scarlet stain of their sin and the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Few people have ever heard of Edward Kimball. He was a timid soft-spoken Sunday school teacher in Boston, Massachusetts. He is but a footnote in church history. In April of 1855, following the Lord's prompting, Edward went to a shoe store where a young man worked who had been attending his Sunday school class. The Lord had prompted Edward to go and share the gospel again with this young man. Edward was nervous. He walked past the shoe store multiple times before surmounting his courage and entered. He found the young man in the back. He was wrapping shoes and stocking shelves. By his own admission, Edward used limping words, and he feared his appeal to the glories of Christ was weak. To Edward's utter amazement, this young man, who Edward described as having the darkest mind of anyone he had ever known, then and there, in the back of that shoe store, surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. This young man would go on to be used mightily by the Lord as an evangelist in both North America and England. His ministry would have a massive impact on both sides of the Atlantic. It's, his ministry would span over 50 years, Tens of thousands would hear the gospel and surrender their lives to Christ through this young man's preaching. He would go on to found Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Illinois, where thousands of missionaries, evangelists, and other Christian workers would be trained and sent out into the world to proclaim Christ. This young man's name, of course, was D.L. Moody. Edward Kimball was a quiet nondescript Sunday school teacher who loved the Lord and nervously followed the Lord's direction on that spring morning in 1855. Edward sowed the good seed on the poor soil of a young man's heart in the back of a 19th century shoe store. The Lord used this moment in history to transform D.L. Moody's heart from one of rocks and weeds to a vessel in which would boldly declare the gospel to the world. 
1,800 years before Edward Kimball walked into that Boston shoe store, Jesus tells us the parable of the sower, which depicts what God has always done, till the fertile soil, the, till the infertile soil of men's hearts and bring to life the good seed planted therein. I'm going to break this passage down into three parts and make a few points out of three parts. Our first is verses 1 through 3, who I have titled Jesus, the ultimate sower. Verses 1 through 3 says this, Soon afterward he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. As I began to prepare for this message, I struggled with this passage, these three verses. Why were they here? It just seemed out of place between the parable and what Pastor Brent preached last week. I struggled with this, but God in his faithfulness shed some light on it. How does this information fit into the well-known parable of the sower? I believe that Luke is setting up the, a framework of the parable Jesus is about to share. Three points from, this, from these three verses. First, Jesus is the supreme sower and our ultimate example. Second, Jesus sowed the seed with his life and with his words. And third, transformed soil has a great all-encompassing affection for and desire to be with Jesus. Point number one, Jesus is the supreme seed sower and our ultimate example. Whenever we look at life, how to pray, how to serve, we are well served to look to Jesus. Jesus is always our example. The first place to look in the life of holiness is Jesus Christ. Two ways that Jesus shows us how to be seed sowers. In Matthew and Mark's account, we know that within the last 24 hours preceding Jesus telling this story, Jesus had healed a man with a withered hand. He had raised a widow's son from the dead. He had healed a demon-possessed man. And he had raised the centurion's daughter. Jesus was doing, he was living his witness. Jesus was doing. His actions sowed good seed. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our lives, brothers and sisters, will reflect our theology. What we, be, what we believe will determine how we live. I pray that our lives would be the good seed of faith in, relationship with, and pursuit of our Lord and Savior. Many are watching. Whether we intend to or not, how we live our lives, what we do is sowing seed. Jesus' actions 
were not the only way that he sowed seed. He went through the cities and villages proclaiming the good news. Jesus spoke. He told. He proclaimed. Jesus' life, his actions, scattered good seed in abundance. But he also spoke the good seed in abundance. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the events surrounding this parable, we see Jesus constantly sharing the gospel verbally. He speaks, he shares, he tells the gospel, the word of God. In the 24 hours prior to this parable, Jesus had proclaimed the gospel at least nine times to multitudes of people. Paul writes in Romans, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hear the word of Christ. In Mark 16, Jesus commands, go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel to all creation. Acts 8 tells us that Philip went down to Samaria and began to proclaim Christ to them. Jesus was showing the gospel. He was sowing the seeds by his actions and declaring the gospel with his words. We as followers of Christ are wise to follow his example in speaking the gospel, sharing the gospel with our neighbors, and are as well wise in living the gospel. If we look closely, we also see in these three verses the results of the seed falling on rich soil. Point number three from this passage. Transformed soil has a great, all-encompassing affection for and a desire to be with Jesus. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and many others, they went with him. They served him. They loved him. They spent time with him. You see this in these first three verses. These, wanted, these women wanted to be near Jesus, to learn from him, to spend time with him, and they left all to do this. These women's response was appropriate. Their desires were right and correct. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. It isn't a theology degree. It isn't structured discipline. It isn't rigid traditions. Sometimes, as Christians, we make it too difficult being a follower of Christ is simply an all-encompassing affection for Jesus, a desire to be near him that absorbs all else in one's life. Mary, Joanna, and Susanna realized who Jesus was, and their lives reflected this fact. In these three opening verses, we see a preview of the parable that Jesus is about to tell. We see the ultimate sower of seed, not only living out the word of God, but proclaiming it with his words. And we also see that the effects or fruits of a transformed heart, an overwhelming affection for, and a desire to be near Jesus that absorbs all else in one's life. We now turn to verses 4 through 8, which I have titled The, Soul, the Soil of the Gospel. Verses 4 through 8. And when a great crowd was gathered, 
and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Three points from these few verses. Point one, Jesus' parable is not primarily about the sower, but rather about the seed and the soil. The sower does, in the second point, the sower does not sow sparingly, but in abundance. Jesus, and the third point is Jesus loves all soils, despite its outward appearance, condition, or potential. Point number one, the parable is not primarily about the sower, but rather about the seed and the soil. If you've noticed in, in our 15 verses this morning, the word sower is only referenced one time. The word seed, however, in these 15 verses is mentioned 17 times. The word soil is mentioned or alluded to eight times. Um, Tim mentioned in Sunday school class this morning, which I would, I would encourage if you can be here for Sunday school, it's, it's well worth your time. Sunday school starts at 9.30, runs till 10.30. Chris, is, Chris and Miss, you're doing a great job. I would encourage you to come. But Tim mentioned this morning in Sunday school that anytime something is repeated in Scripture, our antennas should go up. We should pay attention. God is trying to get our attention. It's important. The word seed is mentioned 17 times. The word soil is alluded to eight times. Verse 11, we learn that the seed is the word of God, the gospel. Sharing the gospel should never be about the sower. Hence, it's only mentioned one time. As we go out to share the word of God, we should guard against it ever being about us. But rather, it must be a white hot spotlight shown upon the one who died to make it reality. The gospel is about Jesus. This doesn't mean, of course, that we shouldn't share our testimony. Revelation 12, 12, says, and they have conquered him by the blood and the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Our testimony has great power. I find it so encouraging when we have a baptism. The person that's being baptized shares their testimony. It is so encouraging. So by no means do I believe that this parable is saying that we should not share our testimony. We should just guard that, it, that our testimony is pointing to Christ and not ourselves. If our testimony points to or credits anything other than Christ, we are doing a disservice to the soil that it is falling upon. Point two, the sower did not sow sparingly, but sowed in abundance. Now, it's been 2,000 years since this parable was told. The sowing, a farmer sowing seed has changed drastically. In the agrarian culture with which Jesus was sharing this parable, the sower would have a bag, and in that bag would be his seed. And he would go out, and in his field he would reach into the bag and sow his seed. He would sow in abundance. It wouldn't be as a farmer today where it's planted in rows, but he would sow in abundance. Multitudes of seed he would throw out. It is not our responsibility to, deter to determine 
the soil's richness or make the seed take root? Based upon Jesus' parable, the follower of Christ's responsibility is simply to sow the seed and sow it in abundance. To share the word of God, the wonderful news of the gospel, we share that with those in our path and we share it in abundance. We share it frequently, consistently. God is the tiller of the soil. He is the preparer of the soil. And he is the life giver of the seed. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Brothers and sisters, as we go out to share and point others to Christ, let us not burden ourselves with selecting what we believe is good soil or worrying over why the seed is not grown, but rather let us focus our energy on sowing in abundance and trusting the giver of every good gift to bring life to the seed. The third point, Jesus loves all soils despite its outward appearance, condition, or potential. Jesus loves all the soils. Verse 8 declares, as he, Jesus, said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In the King James Version, that's that word cried out, that word uh, called out is translated Jesus cried out. The Greek word for that passage right there is a loud voice, an instrument at full note. It, den it denotes volume. Jesus cried out at this point in the parable. He raised his voice in passion. You can almost hear the fervency in his voice. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I could find only two other places in Scripture where it says that Jesus cried out. One was in John 12 where he's declaring who he is before a multitude of people. It says he cries out. And of course, his last words upon the cross. When in the midst of his greatest suffering, he proclaimed one last time and then he yielded up his spirit. The Bible says there that he cried out. Only three times do we hear this one who was gentle and lowly raise his voice. Why here? Why in this parable? Why would Jesus raise his voice after the parable of the sower? And why? Why would he cry out these words? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I would offer, it is a reflection of Jesus' heart. It shows his love for the hearers then and the hearers now. He is saying, I love you. Come to me. Hear me. Find life within me. By crying out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is viv vividly displaying his desire for all to come to faith and repentance. He is crying out for all to understand and find life. He is crying out the words of a Hosea. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. 
Jesus raised his voice is infinitely significant. Do we hear him calling us this morning? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus sees and knows intimately the soil of your heart, yet he loves you and tenderly says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. We now turn to verses 9 through 15. The universal soil of men. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. So that seeing, they may not see. And hearing, they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. I'd like to bring forth two points from these verses. Point one, the Lord is the determining and paramount factor in the soil's preparation and the giver of life to the good seed. The second point is, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The first point, the Lord is the determining and paramount factor in the soil's preparation and the giver of life to the good seed. Here we see the disciples asking for an explanation of the parable. I'm so glad they did. I'm so glad they did. Jesus begins his answer by quoting the prophet Isaiah. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing, they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. This is a difficult saying. What does Jesus mean by seeing, they may not see, by hearing, they may not understand? This is a question that scholars and theologians have discussed for centuries. The doctrines of sovereign election and free will. I am not the right one to preach this, but I would like to give you some food for thought, something to think about, maybe a little help in our struggle with these difficult doctrines. If we turn a few pages back to the first chapter of John, we read this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Jesus found Philip, and Jesus said, follow me. Two verses later, two verses later, we read, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, 
Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Notice, Philip said, we have found. Philip did not find Jesus. Philip was minding his own, own business when Jesus found him and called him. In this scene, we see the classic tension between sovereign election and free will. The Lord found and called Philip, but Philip felt that he had found the Lord. This passage in John 1 is a perfect illustration of how both sovereign election, at least the best I can ascertain, and free will exist in perfect harmony. General, generally speaking, both were true. Philip indeed had found the Messiah. He had indeed found the Messiah. But the Lord was the determining and paramount factor in Philip's conversion. John 15, 16 says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Isaiah 65 says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. The Lord is the one who restores the soil and brings life to the seed. It is also noteworthy that while Jesus often rebuked the disciples' wrong thoughts, he never corrected Philip. He never corrected him on his wrong wording, I have found the Messiah. So is it sovereign election or is it man's free will? As, I, as best I can ascertain, the answer is yes. Point number two, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. In Jesus' explanation of the parable, his attention turns to the soils. The soil, of course, is alluding to the heart of men. The first is the soil of the footpath. The sower has sown good seed, but the soil is hard, packed down by traffic and many feet, and therefore easily stolen by opportunistic thieves. I wonder as I look at this soil if this isn't wounded soil, soil that has been walked on, stepped on, a heart that has been bruised, a heart that has been marginalized. This is soil that rejects the good seed out of hurts and misconceptions of who their heavenly father is. And so that soil goes his own way. Next, Jesus tells of good seed that lands on rocky soil. This is soil that is withered from lack of moisture. I wonder if this soil says, I've tried religion. I've tried church. I've even picked up my Bible once in a while and found to be that it's not what I wanted, it's not what I needed. The rocky soil said, I trusted religion, but when I needed it, religion failed me. Religion didn't help me, so now I reject the seed, and I will go my own way. The third soil is the soil that is choked by thistles, weed infested. This is the soil that believes the temporal things of this life will fulfill them and give them peace. This is a soil, this is a heart that says pleasure, entertainment, achievement, and wealth will bring lasting peace and contentment. This soil is choked with the thistles of idolatry. It has no place or priority for a relationship with God and so rejects the good seed 
and goes its own way. Finally, we come to the good soil. This is a soil that has been transformed, renewed, given fertility. This soil, this heart is good because God has tended it. God has softened it. God has tilled it. And God has prepared it. The Lord has planted the seed, has given life to the seed in this good soil and brought forth fruit from that seed. This good soil yearns for fellowship with the Lord, to be with him, to know him, to be like him. This is a heart that has been changed, changed by an understanding of its sin and depravity and rejoices in the knowledge that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that sin has been washed away. This is a heart with an all-encompassing affection for Jesus, a heart that struggles against the desires of the flesh and mourns when failures come. The rocky soil, the soil on the footpath, and the soil choked by thistles is not a list of who's in and who's out. Those sterile, untillable soils describe all of us. Psalm 14 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, if there are any who seek God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even one. Isaiah tells us all have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. The heroes of our faith, Paul, Moses, Peter, Abraham, did they bring good soil to the Lord? The answer, of course, is no. The soil of their hearts was the same as ours. Hard, rocky, weed-infested. Romans 5 said God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Brothers and sisters, this morning, the point of our passage is not directions on how to recognize or create good soil. But Jesus is giving us a beautiful, hope-filled picture of what God does with untillable, beaten-down, rocky, weed-infested dirt. The parable of the sower is not a list of who's in and who's out. We are all out. No, the parable of the sower is not a verdict. It is an invitation. An invitation to salvation to freedom from sin, an invitation to come and have the soil of your heart renewed and relationship with your Creator restored. The parable of the sower is a call to life, an invitation to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. The parable of the sower reflects the fallen state of man's heart and the restoration of that heart by repentance and faith in Jesus. Can you hear Him this morning? Can you hear Him calling? He who has ears to hear, let Him hear.
Let us pray. Father, each of us has gone our own way. The soil of our heart is hard. It is calloused, full of idolatry. Father, each of us has went our own way. Father, but you've seen. You looked down and you've seen our helpless estate. And you made a way. You made a way that our hearts might contain the fertile soil where the seeds of the word of God would be understood, where roots would grow down and fruit would be born up. Thank you this morning. Thank you for this, Lord. May the stories and the chapters of our lives reflect our gratitude for the cross, for what Jesus has done. Father, again, I ask that if there would be one here this morning who is feeling your call upon their life, who wants to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray for them. Show them the scarlet stain of their sin. Show them the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Help them, Lord. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Our assurance of pardon this morning, if you have indeed cried out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and repented of your sins, our assurance of pardon this morning comes from Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us.